You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 2019 Australian classic Blood Vessel. <sighs> perfection, perfection. That was the best vampire hiss. And I hope a spoiler <laughs> alert, it's a vampire movie, guys. It is a vampire movie. And you want to know what's fucking funny is I originally, when I saw the trailer, assumed that this was a Nazi zombie movie, which there are plenty of. And I was going to talk about the whole subgenre of Nazi zombie, everything from shockwaves to zombie lake to all that kind of stuff. And then <laughs> halfway through the movie, uh, uh, or 54 minutes to be exact, oh, it's a fucking vampire movie. Never mind. <laughs> No, it works. You know, with uh, Blood Vessel, I had hoped for some random reason that it was a submarine film. And I didn't care where the blood part came in as long as there was lots of it. And Mm -hmm. I just have an affinity for submarine films for whatever reason. But luckily on this ship, we spend enough time below deck that it feels like a submarine movie. So I I lump it in amongst my uh, sub horror sub genre. Submarine sandwich. Not the Periscope Down is a horror movie at all, but it's fun. I can tell you what this film is that reminds me a little about about what I imagine being a submarine is like. Fucking dark. Holy moly. This movie starts off at night and they the entire movie takes place during one night. And inside the ship is either completely black or dark red. And that is the color palette for this movie. I was watching it during the day, not because horror movies scare me and I need to. Thank you very much. Just because that's when I had the time. And I had to actually turn off all the lights because I couldn't see what the fuck was going on at the very beginning. And there was a couple of scenes where I had to rewind to to get a grasp like when the, fir- the first death occurs. I was like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> and... <laughs> to go back and look at it again which sounds like a criticism and maybe it is but i found the film really dark what about you yeah i agree with that although i had no trouble with it because the first time i watched it was at night and it's not like too dark what's too dark there's a mary shelley film also on shutter where Mm -hmm. not only me but the horror maven who has this uh youtube channel that reviews movies i believe it was her um who not only had to rewind some scenes of that particular film, but had to take her laptop into her laundry room or some shit so that she would block out all of the light to be able to see it because that film is filmed with natural lighting and candlelight. So it's the whole fucking thing is dark unless they're outside in the day. Uh, Luckily that film spans a couple days or months really Mm -hmm. uh, or years perhaps. But this film, yeah, it's all one night. It's all at night. It's all fucking dark. And then yeah, the red palette it's easier to see the scenes that are lit with red, actually. But it really mm-hmm. does make a tone. It is it is a disturbing yes. setting from the get-go. Let me ask you this. Um, did you hear about this movie or did you just see that it popped up on Shudder 
read the description and just said, fuck it, let's go. I didn't even read the description, I'll have you know. I saw oh. the poster and was like, I'm down. I'm on this <laughs> ship. Fuck yeah. Go ship, uh, submarine, I don't care. Blood, some <laughs> blood on the water in an old boat. I didn't know that it was set at wartime at the end of the war. I didn't know necessarily that it was a vampire film. Um, I, I had my hopes Mm-hmm. But I all I knew is that was it was blood ship shit going on. And uh, that was enough for me. I read the description maybe after I watched the film. But yeah, I was sold on that one sheet alone, period. Oh, interesting. Maybe interesting. that's part of the problem with this film and that it, you know, I hear this this phrase tossed around. It's better than it deserved to be or mm-hmm. something like that something to that effect or better than it had any right to be as they say it is better than it had any right to be or it's better than people allowed it to be because i've heard nothing about this film and that's part of why i wanted to talk about it today because i had a lot of fun i had almost as much fun with this as i did with frankenstein's army which is mm. exceedingly fun frankenstein army is very good this actually reminds me of a thought that I had while I was watching the movie in that Frankenstein's army gave us Frankenstein monsters set during World War II. Russia features heavily in it. And this movie gives us vampires. We need, do we know if, if there's World War II movies where there's a mummy or werewolves? Is dog soldiers, when's, what, when does that take place? Yeah, dog soldiers contemporary. That's oh, shit. Film. Yeah, shit. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind a, a reboot of Dog Soldiers based with the first platoon of Dog Soldiers in the Second World War. That would be super cool. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was just trying to tie it into some universal monsters during World War II. Some not Nazi versions of all of the characters. Although these vampires are not Nazis. These vampires, it's kind of what you think might have happened on the boat in Dracula, what is that, the Demeter? Yeah, yeah what might have happened on uh, on uh, Dracula's voyage when that sleepy little boat just sort of, you know, makes its way into the harbor and there's nobody alive except someone lashed to the steering wheel. It's kind of similar to this, except these are pilfering Nazis. As they do, you know, yeah. like they do. The, like, the, the, the pirates that they were and the uh, occult leanings that not only their leaders had but that among their pilfering and their mm-hmm. plundering they must have collected even more esoterica than they knew what to do with and this is a really yeah. good example of like the holy grail of esoterica or occult mythological bullshit yeah. Where not uh, and they knew the importance of it not only because of all the accoutrement that came along with the coffin that contained, let's say Dracula and his wife, because they don't really have names. Is it just a random vampire king? I don't know. I don't know yeah. my vampire hierarchy here. He, but he looks like the vampire from the Nightmare board game, except a male version of it. Because I think in it's Nightmare Four where it's a vampire, and by the end it turns into like a full fledged fucking bat and this guy's like a full-fledged bat which is an awesome character design by the way i really liked it 
Yeah, I had a lot of fun with that. I had a lot of fun with what vampire lore they stick in here as well. Mm-hmm. And it, it's helpful that we both are very versed in our vampire taxonomy. And I've yes. been recently watching Castlevania. So it's helpful Ooh. to see these different flavors of vampires. And this mm-hmm. has got to be one of my one of my favorite sleeper hit vampire designs. I, I can imagine that the more blood they would get, or maybe mm-hmm. the more Renfields they would accrue, they yeah. would revert back to their sexy beginnings because i'm sure they were super sexy vampires probably super sexy vampires it's interesting because the the vampire patriarch exhibits a lot of different powers but not so much the physical powers you know it he's got a lot of the vampiric mental powers which is very cool i'd like to say in defense of our vampire king that <laughs> he is only seeming weakened physically because he's been in a coffin for god knows how long without blood yeah when he sees when the patriarch views the matriarch he had he implies that it had been an exceedingly long time like it's been forever since he had seen her so you can imagine that he's probably been in that coffin for maybe a couple hundred years Yep, that's what I'm imagining. And like I said, the Nazis knew what they had. They had video of it. They had all the accoutrement, this creepy book. They had all kinds of like bullshit that would go along with a vampire coffin. So wherever they had taken it from also must have warned them of what exactly was going down mm-hmm. in that coffin. Was it? I well, well, I guess we'll get into it, but when we get into what this movie is actually about. But um, well, what is this movie about anyways? So I started having a shower and thinking, okay, Wes is going to ask me what this movie is even about anyway. And what is this movie even about anyway? And then my mind just went twirling off into the distance. <laughs> it's never fair because I put it all on you most of the time to, to come up with something that could summarize this movie in a soundbite. This movie is about how you don't have to travel oceans of time to find fun when Nazis are pilfering shit and dragging it around the continent. They will do the heavy lifting for this guy and towed him around at the end of the war, doing their other side missions, as it were. But where were they taking them? I don't know. They don't Mm. know. No one knows. All we know is that our lucky, lucky individuals that were set adrift on a life raft end up knocking on the side of this particular boat. And it's the wrong boat to knock on. So when the opportunity knocks don't always open that door (laughs) those are some mighty fine lessons lids um what do you think of our rag hag group of would-be heroes i like this setup and i i gotta suspend disbelief going into it i mean come on We're, we're we're talking about a fucking nazi boat that is taken over by vampires like okay There's your first clue that you're going to have to check your history lessons at the door. Mm. But uh, we had had a discussion offline previously about like why these people were even in this fucking life raft. Yeah. Before that, I will say that I love the almost stage play feel of the beginning of this where we meet. There's what, eight people in this life raft? Nine people in this life raft? About that, yeah. So we've got uh, this ragtag group, but they're all in, they're running out of rations. They're all hungry. They're all tired. Some are injured and they don't all see eye to eye. We can see at a glance that there's going to be some tensions between Mm -hmm. these people. And even if that is some sort of profiling going on on behalf of the viewer, you see that there is a Russian prisoner. There is a 
a captain of a boat and a nurse. So you know that some people are going to have some diplomacy issues. Some people are going to have some humanity issues. And then we have the cook and we have an infantryman. We have a guide. We have a code breaker who is a loudmouth bastard with a broken arm. So we've got all sorts of issues immediately presented to us, which is mm-hmm. fun. To see those things mesh, work together, you know, we know that we're going to see that right off the hop. And we're also greeted to the darkness and the cold. There's puffs of of air coming out of their mouths that is crystallizing. So we know that it's cold. We know that they're cranky. We can see these political, societal fucking clashes about to happen. And there is a storm because there's some really almost radio play level versions of thunder and lightning going on in the background and they encounter the boat. And I love that because they have an immediate argument about bullshit and hierarchy and politics. So it's a very good setup and it's a good introduction to this, like the, the shittiness of the code breaker, the way that they're all treating the Russian prisoner who happens to be a sniper, sharpshooter and speak English We Mm -hmm. discover all of this within the first five minutes of the film. And I I love that introduction to all of these people. Why they were in the raft together. I have been cooking up a theory about what happened. I think that this was a joint British-American fleet, perhaps two or three ships. And they were ambushed by U-boats or uh, some German destroyers or whatever, they went down and there was a lifeboat and perhaps other characters got pulled into the boat out of the water. That's what Oh, that makes more sense. That's what I think has happened. Like, let's say the, the two Brits got down there themselves and they pulled the American sailors who were in the water into the lifeboat because they're just seeing bodies flailing around and they're just trying to arbitrarily save who they can. And then when they pull everyone into the lifeboats, then okay, now we're stranded. But you know, that I think that's where my brain has put to make sense to why there were so many different people from so many different countries represented in one lifeboat. That makes a lot of sense. And considering that some of them you could see coming from one ship, of course, the nurse, Jane, mm-hmm. and the loudmouth, um, who we find out is a code breaker mm-hmm. and has a broken arm. So it's easy to remember who he is. Yeah. He's just broken all around. The, yeah. And the, the Americans, there's two Americans that know each other for sure. And the captain, those were three Americans. And so the only people that are really like, well, that's left of center is there's a Russian and there's an Australian. So you're just like, how do these guys figure into this? But if one of them was a prisoner or and yep. another person was just like getting a ride, you know, and, and then they get pulled in out of the water after their boats got sunk. Well, then that makes sense. That's enough. That makes enough sense to me. Yeah. And the Australian... Like we we had discussed just previously before we started recording that if you pay attention to a lot of World War II literature, history, fact, or whatever, you could almost forget that Canada and Australia were involved yeah. in the Second World War because we're not necessarily in the spotlight, but the contribution of other countries, specifically Australia, was was great, yeah. actually. Yeah. I remember being a teenager and first, when you're first really learning about World War II, to, I mean, mo- most of us of, of 
my generation and older had grandparents that were involved in World War II in one shape or another. That was the first time that you were really learning about the history of it. And that's also simultaneously when I really started noticing, man, if unless this documentary, unless this TV show, unless this cartoon show was made in Canada, they don't mention Canada as part of the Allies. They like the always Americans, always British, and that's kind of it. <laughs> that or you get those outlier stories, like you hear about, uh, like the Red Baron getting shot down by a Canadian. Yeah, it's like there was that one guy. Yeah, and you hear about Navajo codebreakers, yeah. but there was like that one guy that you hear about. So you think there was that one guy when it's mm-hmm. it's an entire country was involved. Yeah, for fuck's sake, and and for longer too. But since America makes a lot of these documentaries and movies and stuff, even though they're the also rands that showed up at the last minute and took all the credit. It's <laughs> not to be salty or anything. No. Nope. The, the funny thing is, is that um, even now we're not getting our, this is a, a veritable United Nations of World War II contribution and still <laughs> there's no Canadian. <laughs> I'm going to pretend one of the vampires were Canadian. Well, you could pretend that it makes no sense. They don't speak Canadian. But or Algonquin, but like I just consider the Australian as representative of all of us tiny, tiny little nations that that helped in our contributed greatly in our in our in our little itty bitty way. You know, who knows? Yeah. Uh, While I was watching this movie, it really reminded me of because I know about the the German fascination with the occult and supernatural in general, super science of mind control programs that they had all of this crazy shit that sounds like it came from the pages of like weird science or vault of horror you name it the german army was into it but also my wires get crossed with like issues of hellboy on top of that so the whole time, <laughs> so the whole time I was watching this movie, and I was like, "This really reminds me of like this could be a Hellboy comic, don't you think? Like, like if Hellboy just showed up, this totally would make sense." Well, that would have helped because they need someone to save the day at a certain point oh in God, this, and that would have been a really good turn, a very, very good, very good twist to turn this into a Hellboy issue. All of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. but that's just my comic book brain working, but. When these people get onto the boat, the first they immediately lose somebody to the propellers of the ship, which is a great scene. I did have to rewind it because I didn't quite understand what happened. I must have, it was just so dark. And I was like, wait, wait, what, how did this, who died? And so I saw and I was like, oh my God, it's the captain, which is a good, you see this sometimes in other horror movies where anyone close to resembling the authority figure who can, at the very least, wrangle this herd of cats, immediately take that character out. So people will be at each other's throats and no one's really in charge anymore. Yeah, and they all did seem to regard him, despite them being from different countries, different uh, political structures, uh, different stations in life, because we have cooks and mechanics and nurses and sharpshooters and code breakers, mm-hmm. a captain. We have this big mix, right? But they all did defer to him quite properly and immediately because I guess they'd been adrift for a while and they had just established this fallen into the roles that they typically held, right? Yeah. 
I thought it was a shame because he was just this like kind of Harrison, Sean Bean sort of actor that had a really good presence. Yeah. So I was like, oh, there goes our acting chops. But that's a lie. The acting is very good in this film. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that the acting is is very good. You get a, a good sense of um, character. And also, I wanted to ask you what you thought of the pacing of this film. Because I'm not joking to you, dear listeners, that you don't really know this is a vampire movie until 50 minutes into it. Uh, you know something's up. You know it's called Blood Vessel. But you don't really see anything that's an indicator. It's very similar to From Dust Till Dawn, where vampires show up. I remember the first time I ever showed my dad that movie. And, I was, and he's like, what's this? And I'm like, oh, it's a vampire movie. And we were watching the movie and a good long while into it. He's like, I thought you said this was a vampire movie. And then, of course, like the whole room just explodes in vampires. <laughs> uh, this is kind of the same way. So um, did you think that? It's too long to get to it, or do you think you you weren't distracted by that, or what do you think? I'm invested enough in this setting and these characters, Mm -hmm. which is rare for me to say, because normally I don't care about the characters, not Mm -hmm. because they're just fodder for the end of a blade, but I'm not that interested. I'm very plot driven. Mm -hmm. Very, very plot driven. But I was interested enough in what they would find in the ship. And there is a reveal room by room. And they do split up and Mm -hmm. explore different things and find different dead bodies. So you could almost think that it is a... um, some sort of virus it Mm -hmm. is a contamination problem it is a ghost ship like you could have a lot of these fun ideas rambling around in your head like i did there is one point when the cook finds a body that has fangs and he just sort of like washes over it with his flashlight and doesn't like focus on the fangs but Mm -hmm. me as a viewer i'm like oh my god how did you not see those fangs how were you not weirded out by those fangs like how did you (laughs) not notice giant fangs on that cadaver but i guess once you see so many cadavers you're side of in cadaver shock you could also make the argument that it's the gums have been peeled back so severely from being burned that perhaps it only makes it look like the canines are enlarged. Uh, hard mm-hmm. to say. I don't know. He's not a forensic uh, you know, pathologist or something like that. Maybe he's just not all that well educated. Or perhaps he's just got other things on his mind. They've also found like Nazi gold. So like it might be Nazi gold. Nazi gold. I love I love that um Nazi Germany just was super into um branding. It was like it was like, you know, now we would think about like G.I. Joe and like Cobra Commander and shit like that because that's where they got it from. But the Nazis were like, nah, put our shit on everything. I want to see that swastika on the gold bars <laughs> so they know. And on all of our crates, all four sides, got to make sure you know yeah. it's Nazi Germany stuff. Like they really were into that. While you're going room from room, I do agree that they pull the taffy enough to keep you pretty engaged. And I came into this pretty blind, ignorantly blind, as a matter of fact, because I was convinced it was a zombie movie because I guess I just didn't understand the trailer when I was watching it. Perhaps if I watch it again, I'd be like, how could I think it was zombies? But it is cool to see a mystery unfold. It's it's almost like my favorite part of Aliens, which is when they first get to that place 
uh, and and they're going through all these rooms and it's like whatever happened here looks like we missed it. I loved going into all those rooms and seeing clothes still on the hooks and donuts half eaten and you don't know what the fuck happened, but whatever happened happened really fast. So that type of stuff really does keep my interest. But when the vampires show up, I just realized that I'd been watching the movie for a long time. And so I just checked the timestamp and I was like, wow. For a movie that's just about 90 minutes, it's really the last half hour is vampires and we're going to wrap that up fairly quickly. But even before then, there's some deaths beforehand. Some people died on that ship, Lids, that had no idea it was full of vampires. <laughs> that never crossed my mind. It's very true. And not even counting the captain who got sucked into the propellers. Yeah. I mean, there are some sneaky bullshit going on here. Mm-hmm. There is one person left alive on this ship. Mm-hmm. Well, two people, really, technically. Technically, yeah. One person and a, and a creature. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of creatures, really. But really, there is another person on this ship that they that they end up discovering. But yeah, I didn't. it didn't dawn on me that there are people that never encountered the real treasure on this ship. Yeah. Uh, um, in that shootout, when they find a stowaway... Before I get ahead of myself, they find us a, a little girl first. And you know when you're watching a horror movie and you find a little girl in a dirty dress with a doll. I, I was like, okay, she's like a ghost or she's got possessed by a demon or she is something, right? And Yeah, quickly tie her to something. Yeah, and they immediately have her bite somebody. And you pay attention to that bite because they linger on it for half of a second. And still, even then, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's a zombie thing. Like that chick's going to turn into a zombie. I was so, I can't, I, I'm going to repeat this a couple of times, how convinced I was that this was a zombie movie. It's hard to tell with the way that the people have died on this ship mm-hmm. and the people who have committed suicide on this ship, mm-hmm. the captain of the ship committed suicide, it seems. So, I mean, that would be the natural like leavings and fallout that you would imagine from a zombie infestation. And we also have dead snow fueling this zombie wartime thing because dead snow was just such a great film and it it really showed what a zombie army would really entail i love that movie so much i love those movies so much yeah the second one's great too yeah so i can totally see that hopefully the last half hour we spend with the vampires made up for that build up that that blue balls as it were of (laughs) Waiting to see the zombie question mark? Yeah. Um when I got to the ornate coffin, first of all, what a coffin. Right? Right. I know. And they have some other stuff in that room, like the the gold. And mm-hmm. the gold creates a little bit of contention because there's people that have like it's like what's in the briefcase of Marcellus Wallace's in Pulp Fiction. They mm-hmm. get that that gold bug sort of look on one of them. The uh, I guess he's an engineer or something, or maybe just an infantryman who mm-hmm. is from Brooklyn. He's the most volatile character, too. He's that guy that's always just like, who made you in charge, man? He's that guy. And he's kind of every man for himself, too. So he wants to steal this gold. Yeah. Uh, other people understand that there's something greater and maybe was the cause of the whatever strife had to hit this ship Mm -hmm. that has to do with this big coffin yeah other people have more interests at heart of course like the code breaker is absolutely not interested in any of this bullshit he wants to get off this boat Mm -hmm. and this splitting up of the of the crew is really 
handy in that way. And this facilitates the first death. It really does, because you find a stowaway. There's information that characters keep from each other, which includes the what is going on in the bridge. Uh, looks like someone has their whole neck like bent right in half and they they opt to not tell the others about it which i thought was odd because they're like let's just keep this to ourselves for now i was like there's only three other people on this boat why do you need to not tell them it's not like you're not telling a huge group of people that could panic on mass and also none of the people in that room are really in charge like nobody's in charge so if that didn't really make a heck of a lot of sense to me only to create conflict i guess but when they find the stowaway they also find some weapons here and there they find some nazi paraphernalia and uniforms and the character who was a cook uh, jackson he gets shot in the head by this stowaway who opens fire he's got a, a little luger and he tries to shoot this little girl that they find, Nemaya, who this person refers to as the beast. They can't really seem to understand what Maya is saying a lot. I think she's speaking Romanian. Is that correct? Yeah. And that is what the uh, Russian points out. And the Russian side eyes her from the minute they meet up with mm -hmm. her. The way you should when you find a stowaway child anywhere in a horror film. Yeah. And he knows she's speaking Romanian. He recognizes it but can't understand her. Mm -hmm. And I really like that about having this mix of people that even though there's a lot of polyglots in this world, especially in Europe, there's a lot of people that speak three, four, five languages. Uh, exposure to these languages does not necessarily work as far as understanding them. The only thing they can understand that she's saying is my family, mm -hmm. because familia mm -hmm. is, they sort of mistake it at first for Italian, because the of Italian blood U.S. guy... Jimmy uh, sort of recognizes that word. Anyone that speaks any Spanish, Italian, French, even English would kind of recognize that word. Yeah. But that's all they can understand out of her. No one can understand the German stowaway, even though there is a code breaker who should speak perfect German. Um, the Russians should understand a little bit of German, but uh, nobody seems to, except for saying that she is a monster. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like the beginning of John Carpenter's The Thing, right? So you can't understand what this person's saying, so they can't help you. And the same is true here. Meanwhile, as they're exploring the bowels of this ship, they realize that the engines are overheating and they need to shut them down. So it adds this extra degree of peril and also makes everything darker because if you, it's like we have no time for lights or engine sounds now. We have to turn everything off because... The engines could explode and that could ignite the munitions and then the entire ship is going to explode, which I thought was pretty cool. There's something about spending so much time with these characters that I think is interesting. You get a lot about their backgrounds. Everyone's lost somebody. Either their their entire families they've lost to the war, daughters, uh, wives have moved on because, you know, some of the Australian was declared legally dead that type of stuff. But then when the vampires really sort of show their faces, you kind of immediately disperse with that. So there's there's a point in which I was like, I don't really know what 
the the extended character development was really in service to because it's not like they draw out the deaths the deaths are very very quick yeah the deaths are super quick and they all sort of happen in a cluster up until this point we had a a death to see us off on our little voyage Mm -hmm. we had a death to raise the stakes because it was just basically right after the engines were shut down that jackson got shot and he was a guy that knew anything about fucking engines and ships yeah even though he was a cook, he was an engineer previously in a mechanic. So he understood how to captain the ship. So the the people who could help them out of being adrift mm-hmm. are gone. But then we spend a long time establishing what the real threat is on this ship mm-hmm. as between Maya, the little girl, and the things in the coffin. Mm-hmm. And just one another so it is sort of pulling the taffy at this point the saggy middle Mm -hmm. as it were in in novel writing but if you're into characters you may be into wondering like of course the nurse got into nursing and is so invested in maya's well-being because she lost a daughter Mm -hmm. and the australian is kind of without a care because he does want to see his ex-wife now uh, one last time but He's been without her for quite some time. So that's why he has a little more rogue cavalier attitude towards everything. And will forge into the darkness, mm-hmm. as it were, uh, unbidden. Faraday, all we know is that he's a skeevy, scheming, every man for himself kind of asshole who just wants to save the skin on his back. He's a coward, mm-hmm. to put a name on it. But... We we do learn a little bit about that in the and the Russian yeah the, who thankfully speaks English he does speak English I like the Russian character he's very cool very stoic he kind of reminds me of the um, Yakuza character in Predators just like uh, just like cool he's cool he's very competent good shot and kind of is resigned I'm a soldier and I'm not going to complain you know I don't have any shoes I'm not going to complain. <laughs> That type of guy. Yeah. He'll complain that the the Nazis have such small feet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The dry humor in this is so on point. I love that about this. All of these characters have a little dig in at the Nazis, of course, like you do. But they also have a few little quips just about the war or about their situation. A little bit of gallows humor. Very fun that way. Mm. Because, I mean, you could treat this like a popcorn and pizza horror movie if that's your style and Mm -hmm. you could laugh at like the vampires or just the situation entirely. But those like me being very heavily invested in a vampire at sea film, I really dig this in a serious way. Those little gallo humor things really help keep the pace, especially in the saggy middle. I really liked, and, and I was waiting for it to happen because they find this room And they find these bodies that have been destroyed, burned or however. And you find that there is a 16 millimeter reel to reel sitting there. It's got like something that looks like the fucking Necronomicon on the table as well. And I'm like, oh, my God, please, for the love of God, play that reel to reel. I was I, I really wanted to see them turn it on and you get some flashing scenes, some black and white grainy footage. You get some photos and you get this sense that wherever they picked up this casket from, they boarded it up and they took it probably because they thought it would be some use to them. It turned out to go very badly for them. I don't know if Maya, the little girl, stowed away on the ship and they didn't know she was there, or if it's possible that she was already on the ship and she got bitten. I'm not 
entirely clear on that. This is my favorite part of undoing the mental knot that Maya ties in my mind is, and I wanted your opinion on this because they don't allude to a smaller coffin being off to the side yeah. that she would have busted out of. They, you know, the, putting some things together, so we haven't really gotten to the Renfield situation. No. But, foreshadow, there's a Renfield situation. So, accepting that this the head vampire does have the mental power, Maya could have very well been a child on the ship. Mm-hmm. Suffice it to say, she could have been a child... That was a, a Nazi kid mm-hmm. that was on this boat for whatever fucking reason, a stowaway, perhaps, who knows, that was possessed by the spirit of the child of these vampires. Or she followed her parents sneakily like kids do mm-hmm. and has just sort of been like crouching up in the crow's nest waiting to strike. But whatever situation, whether she is an avatar for the child of these vampires or if she is the child of these vampires that has stowed away following her parents or there is a second little coffin that we never hear about that she busted out of seen missing Mm -hmm. she caused all of this shit because they did not unleash these vampires that killed everybody and then lock them back up in the fucking Mm. coffins she killed everyone on this boat yep that little girl yep they don't really say it but it's at the end of the movie you're just like Oh, it was all her. She fucking killed everybody and turned other people into vampires that got killed. Yeah. Like, wow. I think this is my headcanon, if I were to use that phrase. I think what was likely to have happened was Maya was part of this brood of vampires Mm -hmm. and is not on the same level as the matriarch and the patriarch because she exhibits no physical transformation like they have. Only in the reflection of the mirror. Yes. At one point, the nurse catches her reflection in the mirror and sees a monster Mm -hmm. and then, like, of course, disregards that because she's seeing things. So, yeah, you're right about that. But what could have happened or what I've imagined has happened is she was at that castle And when they were shipping off, either stowed away or managed to make herself be invited. Like perhaps she just, oh, who's this urchin child? And someone on the ship took pity on her, brought her aboard because there's nothing here. So fine. Okay, you can come with us. Or she stowed away and then just systematically at first either seemed to be innocent because it seemed to be her M.O. initially when all of those people showed up. Because she's powerful, but she's not invincible. Proof is is the fact that, like, other vampires managed to have been killed by the sailors who were on this boat. So she would have laid in wait, maybe turned one or two people to sort of bolster numbers, and then tried to take over the ship. And then just as everything was copacetic, that's when the the survivors of the life raft boarded the ship. So that's kind of what I've sort of worked out in my mind for what had likely happened. Because you're right, there is no third coffin. And even if there was, how did she get out of it when theoretically more powerful vampires were unable to? Exactly, exactly. The only thing that she had going for her, aside from her puppy dog eyes, Mm -hmm. is that she's small and can hide quite easily on this ship. Mm -hmm. So... 
that's really how she survived before and after whatever onslaught she unleashed. I'd like to see that movie where this little girl just lays waste to an entire ship of Nazis. I mean, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. But I really do like that idea that they don't really piece everything together. Sure, they spoon feed us a little bit of of vampire lore and, and Nazi bullshit with this wonderful library scene. I love that they project this film that they don't understand <laughs> on top of a bulletin board with other things related to this esoterica. So it's just a very well shot scene. They get all of their horrific library scene knowledge. We get treated to this really cool flickering film that is projected upon this like control room sort of area. So it's just a really cool looking scene. And of course, they discover that that book details everything about these vampires in, of course, a language they don't fucking understand. So it's no help that way. But picture book wise, it is a great help because it describes that these are Strogoi. Strogoi, you say? Of course. I mean, they can't be vampires. No one uses that word. But the <laughs> Russian knows a lot about the Strogoi and what their weaknesses are. So he is a little bit of a help here in detailing how much trouble they're fucking in. Yes, yes. And they are in a lot of trouble because they start dispatching with characters relatively quickly. But also, when the patriarch is awoken, we very quickly learn that he has got mind control powers. He is able to, if you are bitten, and it doesn't have need to be him that bites you, if you are bitten, because Maya bites the Codebreaker guy, who's about to let the Nazis know where they are just so he can get rescued, and he tries to barter with information that he has that that would be vital to the nazis winning the war i guess and meanwhile in the background you see maya like crawling towards them and then when he gets bit and then the next time you see that character he's like a twisted puppet of this patriarch vampire who got locked behind this door where his coffin was being stowed. Yeah, because luckily, just in time, they seem to understand what is after them. And he busts out in all of his Nosferatu glory to attack them. And they just luckily slam this door. And this is where I really like the design of this, because it does feel more like a U-boat than a, a normal boat because it's got these very heavy lead doors. And if you can imagine anything to contain a vampire outside of a chained up coffin, mm -hmm. it's this cubicle area that they had had him stored in because there is like a, a lead door keeping them safe from him. If it wasn't for the mind control aspect and the fact that he has someone on the outside between Maya and this Faraday, who's now his Renfield mm -hmm. entirely serving the master and who is already a turncoat to begin with in, in several ways, because I like his scene Faraday scene just uh, before and after he gets bit where he's at the radio contacting whatever boat will listen and explaining to them that he has information to barter and they're triangulating their position at that very moment as well. It takes you out of this movie. This could be any wartime movie with a turncoat codebreaker on a ship that is adrift that is doing whatever he can to save his back. So I really like that scene, but I equally like full-blown Renfield Faraday who doesn't give a shit about getting rescued anymore. He gives a shit about serving the master. He's definitely channeling that same sort of Tom Waits energy from right. Coppola's Dracula 
He's a very, very good Renfield and a, a really, a very real threat, even though at the point he was sort of a, uh, a lily livered coward. He does pose a real threat at this point. He was, um, they managed to fight back the best that they can. The possessed people, although the, the nurse, the woman, um, she's already been bitten and she's told as much that she's basically just on borrowed time. Um, she's already dead and doesn't know it yet. The vampire, the patriarch, he seems to like to talk about how meaningless life is. He's very emo. He, he likes to, he likes to go on long uh, pontifications about uh, nihilism and you know fearing things you don't understand and whatever have you. It sounds cool. It's in a different language that I don't understand. <laughs> Yeah, I like the subtitles, though. They use a really cool font for the subtitles. It's sort of like this old world copper plate kind yeah. of thing. It's like Dracula font. So it's helpful. It is totally Dracula font, and I like that. It's helpful. And they also, between having this very well-designed vampire creature that has a very bestial bat-like face mm -hmm. and sort of wolfen bat-looking mm -hmm. thing. Long Nosferatu um, fingers and... Yeah, he is very, very Nosferatu. And he uh, is speaking through Renfield for a lot of it, too. So we get like a translation when that's happening. Mm -hmm. Well, those vampires must thank that Nazi gold because it it does get that's the reason that they get finally get blood into the master vampire, because that Nazi gold must mean that inside that crate, there's even more, right? You find a couple bars of gold beside a giant crate that's chained up that the Nazis are transporting. Someone like Jimmy is going to pry this shit open and get to the rest of the treasure, right? So that's how the main vampires pop out. Now that they are trapped in this area, they do figure out a way to dispatch them because even though they're trapped in this area, they've gotten to Faraday already. Mm -hmm. They definitely were controlling Maya mm -hmm. or had a link to her. They are invading the minds of the other people alive on this boat. Right. And they're all falling prey to this. So they know it's only a matter of time before they either A, kill everybody psychically, turn them against one another or get out of there. So they concoct a plan to burn the vampires alive inside this cubicle. Yes. The vulnerabilities of the vampires, they seem more susceptible to damage, don't they? Or perhaps it's just people on the boat are just better equipped. I mean, no one's got any wooden stakes. You would assume that would work. But uh, they do have access to fire and axes, things that could kill a vampire. Decapitation and immolation. And that cross, you know, they've got oh, a few yeah. things at their disposal. The cross. I forgot, like, this giant ornate cross that uh, the uh, Russian has that he finds. Mm -hmm. He's like, hmm, this could come in handy. And it does. They are super weak, though. And that's the thing. Like, I, I gotta say, like I said, in defense of my Dark Lord, Vampire King, <laughs> the fact that he just woke up yeah and he got a little bit of blood off one rinky dink american and then he fed half of that out of his own rest to his bride mm -hmm. to wake her up they're both super weak they haven't fed in a long time so they must be just paper thin skin right yeah do you get a vibe from these vampires perhaps it's just because they seem so old world and european and it's a 
World War II setting, but do you get a 30 Days of Night vibe from these vampires? There's something about them that really reminds me, uh, particularly when the patriarch vampire is sort of going off about his philosophies on life and shit. It's really reminding me of that, and especially how... um, bestial his wife is how she's always just kind of standing next to him hissing and twisting her head and shit that does actually i didn't put that together at all but it is like you know what vampires are candidates to begin a community much like there is in 30 days of night where humans are just food and you know god has abandoned them and we're gonna go and live far away from you fucking people with just enough of you to sustain us like he would be that ringleader definitely because he is super nihilistic and super emo i like that he will talk to anyone that will listen oh man he'll just go off yeah it's probably like how i feel when i'm hanging out with people who are younger than me i'm just like gather around gather around and let me just give long speeches about the nihilism in my heart (laughs) that's what it it seems like and i wish his wife had something to say about it all other than hissing but i did just watch army of the dead and the lead zombie female in that does a lot of the same thing just a lot of head not that any of them talk a lot of head twisting and hissing i'm actually gonna watch uh, army of the dead probably later um because it looks really fun yeah it's funny although the matriarch she does fuck with the Australian character because one thing that I will say is valuable about learning so much about these characters, and perhaps now that I'm saying this, I'll give them a little bit more credit than maybe it sounded like I was being shitty before, but since you do have all of that information, it makes the psychic attacks make much more sense when she is pretending to look like his wife now there's a part of me anytime that this happens in movies where i'm thinking to myself come on man like you know your wife isn't on the boat there like you have to know that she's not there in 1408 that's where my suspension of disbelief is challenged in the biggest way because it's like you know that you're not in that burning house you know that your daughter's not there same here you know that your wife is not there same with the um nurse who maya mind projects her daughter onto mm-hmm. and it's like you know your fucking daughter's not on this boat yeah right like you know you know that it's, yeah it's like and not only they know that they're dealing with vampires and they know that they're dealing with vampires with psychic powers and yet they're still like that's my daughter in there it's like it's wicked not your daughter it's like your daughter's dead you did a whole monologue about it yeah we know you know everybody knows yeah. that that you are seeing things movies will assume that people are so weak that they will be tricked into that yeah i don't know if they were like to the point where renfield is or faraday at a certain point where he is mentally physically taxed Mm -hmm. to the point that he could be susceptible to believing these hallucinations these other people aren't sure they're stressed as they're stressed out as fuck they've been stressed out for weeks they've been stressed out for years they're in the middle of fucking war or they're the end at the end of the war Mm -hmm. but still like you you have a feeling that humans are stronger than that Mm -hmm. but oh well we'll just throw that known fact away and let them believe that they're going to be tricked by seeing their their daughter or their wife but you know the nurse is the 
strongest one of them because she fights through that with Renfield, any sort of mind control. She fights through that when she goes to burn the ass off of these vampires. Yep. She also spends a lot of the movie just being the most um, nurturing, not just because it's it's a female character. It makes a lot of sense because she's a nurse, right? That's literally what her job is, is to care about life and to help people who are injured, which is why, you know, she gives a lot of credit to like the code breaking character to make sure people are like, you know, not being too hard on them and shit like that. But she also is about to disappear because you think you know how this movie is going to go. But and you know that she's been bitten, but you kind of get the sense that like, OK, well, I know how this goes. Here's a group. There's like seven or eight guys. There's one lady. So all the dudes except for one dude is going to get killed. And then the lady's going to survive probably until the very end. And and that's just going to be, you know, they're going to be running around for like the last half hour of the movie. And that's basically it, which isn't far off. But before all of that. She fucking vanishes. She just like is not part of the last 20-ish minutes of the movie. And it's just Australian and Russian buddy cop. That's what this movie is. It's just like two dudes about to take on a bunch of vampires because the vampires are stalking them. They have, they're starting to concoct their plan. Now, their plan originally was we're going to start the engines back up. We're going to blow the munitions or the or blow the engines, which will blow the munitions, munitions, and that's going to explode the ship. Now, they don't have any lifeboats because they find out that what happened on this boat was the the captain basically made sure that, that no one could get off the boats. All the vampires were killed or contained. And I guess that was going to be his plan. So their idea of like, we're going to blow up the ship. I'm like, and go where? Like, you're literally in the ocean. But that's going to be the plan. And it's good. I like this these moments between these two characters. It's kind of like in the midst of like the last half hour of the movie where there's a lot of energy and there's a lot of action going on and characters are getting killed. It's a nice way to sort of slow it all down. And really let us hang out with the two most interesting characters that we've spent kind of the least time with up until now which is the Russian and the Australian and the two men with a plan and the man of action. Mm-hmm. So it is a fun sequence to hang out with them when you know that one of them isn't going to make out of this alive. Oh yeah. You just know it. Oh yeah. The thing that um, I really dug was the fact that and it was funny while I was watching the movie, I know I've said this before in other films that we've watched, but I always talk about uh, the ladies of the descent where I'm just like, Oh, the ladies of the descent would fucking kill all these guys. No problem. And I thought of that when you see the door and, you know, we've all seen The Walking Dead, like, do not open dead inside. And so this is a very similar type door, which do not open, which they open. And it's chuck full of revenants. They're not, they don't look like fully turned, fully fledged, realized vampires. You know what I mean? Like, they're much more ghoulish, but they're chock full of it. Or... There's like a sequence in The Last of Us 2 in which you open up a shed and it's just chuck full of mushroom zombies. And you're like, oh my God, why are they all in there? Anyway, these guys open it up and then they're like, they kind of take a moment to stare at all of these vampires. And then they're like, the vampires hiss at them like, and they slam the door shut. They're like, oh my God. And I, I immediately had the thought, I was like, man, if this was like the ladies of the descent, they would have like fucked up that whole room of zombies 
And then they fuck up that whole room of zombies. It's not as gushy and gory, but it is a really good sequence anyways. And it has like my favorite joke that they did in the whole thing, which was a a callback to an earlier joke of, do you want to trade? Because um, one of them has essentially just a big heavy wrench and the other one has an axe. And uh, I really dug that joke. It made me laugh. And then, of course, they like take down all of these guys. But, you know, the Russian does get bit. And it does help that we've already seen what it's like when someone gets bit. We have an idea of the timeline. And that's my favorite thing in any zombie or vampire infection werewolf movie Mm -hmm. is establishing how quickly this thing affects people. And I hate when a movie drops the ball on that, but we've got a pretty established here. We know uh, what sort of power a vampire, a freshly made vampire can have to, and what a threat he would pose. So he knows that his time is up. He's basically on borrowed time and all he can do before he starts to succumb to the wiles of the matriarch and patriarch who still exude some sort of power. Mm -hmm. He knows he's only got a fixed amount of time. So he decides, you know, you go, I'm going to blow up the boat. This actually gives way to a a sequence that, you know, I'm not like making fun of it at all. I was I was really compelled. I love that shit. I love when people are like pushing through the pain, so to speak. And when the patriarch is trying to control the Russian to keep him from igniting that shell, you know, like the, the patriarch is like screaming at him in his uh, his his native tongue. You know, the, the Russian guy is uh, is fighting through it. I was like, man, this is like very good. It's like I love the intensity of the scene. I love how it was shot. I love the dialogue. It's all very good. And, and that's that moment where, you know, it's short, but I was like, this is that moment where I feel like this movie is like fully, fully realized where it's like cool looking vampire. They're screaming at each other. He's got his trying to put his vampire whammy on somebody. Meanwhile, um, the Australian who finds the nurse is like now running for their lives before this boat just fucking explodes. I mean, I really got to say for a movie that at sometimes can seem quite small and quite limited in budget, it does look like a more expensive movie than it probably is. And uh, the boat exploding sequence, I was like, wow, that was actually very well done. It was very well done. What small amount of effects they have too. It seems most of them stay physical, Mm -hmm. which maybe helped with the budget there. And they have some really good actors. Good lighting, even though... Like you say, it's dark. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. But they work with what they're, you know, what the context of this night is, because nothing worse than having a fully lit forest at night, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no real lights to be had. What are they going to do? Um, but it is shot exceedingly well. And the dialogue is really, really good. I like that a lot. So they have a lot going for it. Then when we get to the effects of the blood changing within the neck of the Russian after he's bit. Yeah, that's very good. Very cool looking. And that's just leading up bit by bit of things that are more and more impressive Mm -hmm. about this film to that Michael Bay-esque explosion. True. Even I was going to say as we were thinking about the practical effects, the decapitation of the matriarch character was also very good because it kind of showed how difficult it is to cut someone's head off a lesser movie might just one swipe of an axe and like the like with razor precision 
a, a head comes off. But I mean, an axe isn't really made to decapitate a human from their head. Um, and this might not be that sharp and you might not be that strong. And the, this person also doesn't want their head cut off. So it's, it's like three or four really good wax to fully decapitate, uh, this woman while she's also psychically you know, attacking you like a Pokemon. That sequence was really well done. Uh, now that I think about it though, as hard as it was to cut someone's head off, they managed to maybe even with the same axe cut the chain off that coffin in one swipe. So yeah, right. <laughs> just a funny thought I had. The interesting thing is when this film is on its way out, and we know already that the nurse has been bitten. We know that because I mean Maya Bitter in the middle of the movie. What I was not expecting was the boat. That comes because after the boat explodes and you assume that the the patriarch is dead, I mean, he likely is. Fire seems to work pretty well on all the vampires. You would think that because of the code breaker, the boat that would rescue them would be German, but it's a British vessel. Just so happened by. Yeah. And it's only, I figure, in that it is the end of the war. Mm hmm. The Nazi machine is in its death throes and it is it was attacking any envoy. So maybe within the day that it's transpired, perhaps the Nazis that the Codebreaker had contacted um, either fed that information back to the British because they did work a lot closer than we imagined, mm. even though they were trying to figure out what one or the other was doing behind their own backs. They did work and trade intelligence. So perhaps they had said, hey, when your codebreakers is trying to turn, we don't need them anymore because this bullshit is over. Mm -hmm. Or the British had intercepted that transaction. That could have happened. Or yeah. had caught the Nazis triangulating that area. Or they just happened by because this is that corridor where they were bombing the medical envoys so maybe they were coming through after that fact realizing like hey we just lost a bunch of ships a couple of days ago mm -hmm. we gotta sweep in there and see if there's any survivors and that's when they had discovered this or via radar had figured out that this nazi ship was drifting and went to check it out so there's a lot of reasons why so the two of them are adrift with this burning husk of a nazi boat on one side and safety on the other could you imagine being like not knowing that that boat was coming. And right now you're just like, so we have a burning ship and the deep black ocean. That's our options right now. That'd be so scary. Well, if I was a nurse, I wouldn't feel too scared because I'm like, I am going to turn into a vampire eventually. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I can handle being dunked in the freezing cold Atlantic even better if that were to happen right now. But you want to know who else is going to turn into a fucking vampire? That Australian. The fact that he's sinking below the water, he is going to become an underwater vampire. It's going to be crazy. And then he won't be able to get back up to the surface. And he's just like, ah, I'm a vampire maid. Mer vampire. A mer-vampire. Like a Jason Voorhees yet vampire. Yeah, he's going to be like Jason Voorhees. He's going to be all slick and gooey. But she kills him. Like, that's one thing with vampires that I've never fully grasped. Is like they know what amount of a bite is enough to draw blood, then to change, then to kill. This vampire bites lore in this particular film strikes me as infection. So because the black veins that uh, emanate from the bite wound and either you're bit 
very gently or you're bit and blood is drawn from you like extensively, no matter what, it seems like you turn into a vampire because my like it might take longer, like the difference of a zombie bite, a zombie biting out your jugular and killing you instantly versus a zombie scratching your arm and you turn four days later um whatever the logic behind zombie transformation is that was the vibe i got from these vampire bites it just seemed like if fangs break your skin you are a vampire so i just assumed that yeah well the well the australian is like sinking below the water looking upwards wondering how it all went so wrong and he'll never see his wife one last time i was like you're just gonna turn into a, 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 a vampire later dude you'll be fine Unless he's just human enough to die a full death. That's true. Yeah, it could happen too. I think that must have been what she gauged because when the nurse bites him, just after they see this ship that is going to rescue them, uh, she tears his throat out pretty good. True. I tell you, oh, she she gives us fourth wall look into the camera like, mm, perhaps everything's not okay. <laughs> Exactly. And I know we just covered a movie that ends exactly like that. <laughs> I didn't even think about the fact that Edge of the Axe ends the same way. <laughs> just like, yeah, they do. let me look at the camera. <laughs> That's what we're doing here on Dead Air. Oh my God. We're doing movies that end with a, with a almost, I don't know, Angela from Sleepaway Camp sort of look. Yeah, like she, uh, a knowing... Puck like wink at the camera. <laughs> yep, that's what's happening. So I am totally on board, no pun intended, for Blood Vessel 2, if that ever were to happen. Blood Vessel 2 would definitely be about, I guess, just like another, like now you kill the British boat, or does she wait until she gets to land? Wouldn't that make more sense? She go, waits till she gets to land and goes to Carfax Abbey. Yes. <laughs> So what do we got next for him? Coming up next, we are going to cover the interesting film, Open 24 Hours. Open 24 Hours. I have not seen this one. It is one that caught my eye and I didn't watch it for like over a year. It was streaming and I was interested in the premise. And I was, I'm always interested in these films that sort of wrangle uh, mental illness, hallucination, sort of let's scare Jessica to death. Is Ooh, she crazy yeah. or not? Mm -hmm. Sort of things. And that's the crux of this particular film. And I had my doubts because it was, it's a smaller film, much like Blood Vessel was a smaller film. And after watching it, I was compelled to cover it here. I think that you'll really enjoy it. You had said that you just watched ATM, which is something I've never watched. And mm -hmm. this is what it's reminding you of. So I'm going to have to watch ATM too. Yeah, I did just watch ATM because the trailer at the very least for open 24 hours reminded me of that. I could be dead wrong, just like how I watched the trailer for Blood Vessel and thought it was a zombie movie. <laughs> Go figure. No, I, I think you probably hit the nail on the head because there are quite a few films that could resemble this from one degree to another. Even P2, which is very different from Open 24 Hours, but it's got the same sort of idea mm -hmm. of someone being tormented and sort of uh, left to their own devices and kind of sequestered. 
So, yeah, I don't know. We'll look forward to doing I'm that. Excited, yeah. In the meantime, it's Bram Stoker weekend, so I'm going to tune into a bunch of the panels that are going on right now and watch the Stokies, as Chris likes to call them. <laughs> uh, the Bram Stoker Awards are tonight, so I'm going to hang on every word watching that, as I always do, because it really informs some of my reading that I might have missed over the last year. So I'll be reading a bunch of... Uh, Bram Stoker finalists and winners. That's really cool. Stokey Awards. Um, yeah, I'm really glad that you're going to be doing that. And uh, I'm also glad that we're tackling some newer horror movies because if it were up to me, we would always just be doing old shit. I'm, I'm old. I like old stuff. New stuff scares me. I don't know how to s- start a movie. And, you know, I remember when I turned on Blood Vessel for the first time, I was like, man, I can't believe I just went to Shudder and like searched a movie and I'm instantly watching it. I'm not just staring at a screen for 45 minutes like, and then I just watched Blood Sucking Freaks again. It's it's just good to remind us that, you know, new horror exists and and like cool stuff comes out that uh, wouldn't check out, which was what the point of this podcast was. It was like, let's explore our hobbies and our interests and stuff like that not stay stifled and in the old ways but i'm sure i'll make you watch something old again looking forward to our our next oldie because they're always goldies like edge of the axe was it was really fun madman was super fun so we've come out of kind of getting back to our roots of splatter pictures watching those older films and still not jumping on the terror train as it were no old horror movie pun intended that we're watching these movies that are maybe flying under people's radar. Yes. So I'm pretty excited about that. And who knows if anyone has any suggestions about what we ought to watch, Mm -hmm. just let us know because we do have still at our disposals, the box store that is Wes's movie collection. Yeah, We've got quite a few titles here. And of course, anything streaming on shutter or Netflix, I guess. Yeah. You and uh, Chris have yourself a, a smaller, but I would say more prestigious uh, physical horror movie collection. Like it's more, like we've said before, it's the Louvre. I'm Walmart. You're the <laughs> you're the Louvre. Exactly. But I mean, there's more to be said about the Walmart version, the big box store <laughs> that is your movie collection, because it does have such broad tastes. There's actually some some new stuff that's been released recently that are like some slasher movies that haven't really gotten a lot of love. So like maybe we'll do one of those later, but I don't know. But for next, it's definitely open 24 hours, which I'm very excited to look at because to me, the trailer looked fucking cool. Good to hear. Good to hear. I'm excited. And I'm Wes Knight. (laughs) And I'm typical Lydia, also excited. (laughs) And you've been listening to Dead Air. Blood Vessel. Can't believe I went the whole podcast without saying blood whistle.